Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Well, good morning, guys. Welcome to week two, session two of our spiritual gifts equipping. Uh, you heard that walkout music. I'll, I'm, I'm glad I'll say it. Last week I wasn't here because I was in Nashville. I took my 16-year-old to see Justin Bieber. So judge me. Go ahead. I don't care. My 16-year-old wants to spend time with me. I'll do, do that. Anyway. Uh, I digress. Hey, a couple things, fellas. Next Thursday, a week from right now, at 6.30 p.m., we have Thursday night service. Uh, some of you come to that anyway. Uh, before and after those services, after the, under the portico over in the main building, we are going to be having a social deal. We're going to be having hot dogs and hamburgers. It's going to be a great time to connect uh, with some other guys. Bring your family. Um, so it's free. So just show up to that. No signups, just show up. That'll be great. Hey, on your table, there is a sheet that says leader interest. And we have different things um, that you can check there. This is for our men's staff to know how to best follow up with you. This spiritual gifts isn't equipping. I love what Ephesians 4 talks about in verse 12. It says to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Man, this whole thing on spiritual gifts that we're learning, this isn't about, man, you gotta use your gift under compulsion or, hey, just glad, hope you know what your spiritual gift, hope you enjoy that. No, it's, it's for works of service so that the church can be up so that we can be unified. And so that's why this is really significant. You know, the world doesn't, our community doesn't need a bunch of dudes with scowls on our face, um, you know, saying this is my spiritual gift, I'm being faithful. Now the, the world needs to see us men who are, have come alive. And when we discover what our spiritual gift is, how God has uniquely wired each of us differently, um, all the different parts of the body are equal parts. We have different roles so that we can pursue unity for Christ. Um, man, we come alive. When I am operating out of my spiritual giftedness, it is work, um, but I'm not checking my watch when I'm operating out of my spiritual giftedness. When I'm operating out of what I wish my spiritual giftedness was or out of you know pure need and too much time on that, I'm checking my watch a lot. And that's, that's the same with you. And so, man, I hope that last week, if you were here, uh, and by the way, if you weren't here last week, uh, we were making uh, each week available. This isn't a, if you, if you weren't here, you, you missed out, you can't catch up. You can email bbmens at seccc.org and we'll send you that link out there. I'll be glad to do that. But um, we're so excited that you guys chose to be here. We're gonna meet um, today and then two more weeks, um, same place, same time. And uh, we're glad you're here. So I'm going to bring out today as uh, teacher. This is Ben Cross. Ben heads up our residency ministry here at Southeast. And um, man, I love love serving alongside this guy. Yep, <laughs> Seinfeld fan, of course. I'll take that. Hey, so I know spiritual gifts can be one of those things where yeah. you know it's did God send an audible voice, and you know that's how you knew. I yeah. want to ask you, what is your spiritual gift, or what are your spiritual gifts? Yeah, uh, I, think, I think teaching is one, and um, encouragement, I think, um, and maybe there's more at different times, you know, things go more or less, but I think those are the two most often that I find God tends to use, I tend to thrive in, yeah, okay. teaching encouragement. Let me correct something. Teaching is your gift. It's not a, <laughs> eh, I think you missed a cue there, um, which leads me to how do you know? Yeah. Um, and by the way, when somebody asks your spiritual gifts, it feels like you're sticking your... No, they're like yeah. acknowledging the way God's wired I, yeah. <laughs> you is acknowledging God's giftedness. Yeah. So how do you know? How do I know? Um, some of it is, I think, people around me, you know, that I trust and that 
um, just have a lot of influence in my life saying, hey, I've, I've noticed this in you. You should do that more often. When you do this, it probably has more of an impact than you realize. I think that's, that's one way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think other ways, I mean, like today, later, you know, for this week, your homework is going to be taking a spiritual gifts test. That's one way. Those things have been helpful to me. Usually when I've taken a spiritual gifts test, it's not like, oh my gosh, I never imagined that that would be it. But it's more affirming of like, I wondered if that was something that, that was a gift in me. And that's helpful language for me to understand. So those two things probably. People speaking into me, taking tests. And then the third thing would be, um, I think, doing those things. Like if maybe somebody gives you an opportunity to teach or whatever in my case, and you do it and feel like, oh, that was different than just when I do something else. I think when you try and learn like, oh, that was, that was good. I, yeah. you know, I can do that in a different way than I thought I could. So when, when teaching is your spiritual gift, you don't have to work at it and prepare, right? You just show up. <laughs> right, yeah, there's nothing, no. nothing to So it. you still have to be faithful Absolutely. At, at honing your gift. Yeah, I think I, and we'll talk a little bit more about a way that I kind of think about defining spiritual gifts later this morning. But I think that, yeah, it's definitely not that I have this gift, so I just show up and it happens miraculously. I think it's more that the impact outweighs the, the like cost to yourself yeah. sometimes, you know? That's what I would say. That's good. Well, thanks for investing in us. And before we do, we do, we do want to acknowledge uh, what just happened a couple of days ago mm-hmm. in Texas. Uh, just horrific. So will you pray, pray over those families? And then we'll yeah, turn over. absolutely. Uh, God, we come to you today um, excited for this time together and um, looking forward to digging into your word and learning about who you are and what you have for us. Um, to make us more useful and effective to build for your kingdom here on earth, but also, um, I mean, at any time, you know, we could turn our eyes to the news and have pretty heavy hearts, but um, things like this, um, like what happened in Texas, uh, are just so tragic and heavy and not what you want in the world. And so I pray that you would use your people there and, and even here and everywhere else um, to join together in unity to pray for um, comfort and encouragement for the families who have lost children and loved ones. And um, just pray for your peace that transcends all understanding. We can't understand how you could have peace in a situation like that. But your peace transcends all understanding. Um, So would you please give it to guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Um, Would you help bring about justice, whatever that needs to be? We trust that that you know that far better than any of us could figure out. So please bring about your justice. Um, I pray that in the lives of individual people, uh, us, starting with us, um, but certainly expanding from us into the world at large, would you be at work in people's hearts so that evil things like that don't happen as often? And would you use your people uh, everywhere to just speak words of truth or challenge or to love people well so that the wounds in us can heal, um, so that people who are hurt don't hurt more people? God is a father of an elementary school-aged little girl. Um, my heart just breaks for, uh, for what that could feel like. I can't even fathom, um, but my heart is heavy with it. And um, so we pray here from here in Louisville, we just pray your comfort, your healing, your compassion, your goodness. We pray for your church um, there to rise up and surround people who need to be loved really desperately right now. Um, somehow, God, I, I know, you know this situation is never gonna be looked back on as a good thing, Um, But could it be looked back on, because of your power and your redemptive work, could it be looked back on as a catalyst for spiritual growth in some capacity? Um, Because you're just that good at redeeming. We trust that you are, we believe that you are, and we just ask that you would do that by your power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Thanks, Ronnie. so, so kind of on that note, but, but not specifically that note, I just want to start with just like a deep, collective deep breath for a second. Can we do that? Because I know I always come into any morning like this, just like you guys do, with a whole collection of good, exciting things, a whole collection of tiring things, a collection of challenges. Like my, my heart doesn't just come in here, like, you know, woken up at five in the morning saying, what a wonderful day to be refreshed in the Lord. And all that's on my mind is walking into church and being built up in the gifts of the Spirit, right? There's a fraction of your hearts that way because you're here. Um, But you're probably not walking in with just a completely clean, I'm just ready for the presence of God today. You're walking in with all kinds of things, good and bad. And so am I. So let's just start for like a minute and just acknowledge, just sit still. Just sit still. You can close your eyes if you want to. I I don't know how you had to do it. But I know for me, you know, I'm coming in um, busy, 
I'm coming in happy and filled up. I have um, some family from New Mexico that's been in town visiting. We don't get to see a lot. My dad is here today, actually, which is cool. He lives in New Mexico. I'm so glad he can be here. That's been such a filling, exciting week for me. It's also been a really busy work week for me. It's been, um, I, I come in today, just be like, I'll start the day with some vulnerability for you, because again, I, you're like me. I come in today after a week of struggling to continue to be patient with my daughter. Had great moments. I've had some moments that I've had to go back and say, I'm sorry, I, you know, I need to be more patient. Um, I come in with that today. You guys come in with things like that. So let's just pause for a second and just breathe. And God sees all that. He knows all that. He's still ready to meet you here. He's ready to give you good discussion here. I think he's ready to encourage your heart today, maybe challenge you today. Just sit still for a minute. Let him see all those things. Let him have all those things. Uh, and let's just be together in that with him for a minute. So just sit still. So God, we bring all those things to you. You see them anyway. We just want you to know that we know that you see it. And um, that regardless of how excited and how emotionally full or how tired or how stressed or whatever, we all bring to the table today. We come to the table today. And we're excited to open your word and learn what you have to say to us. We're excited to open our hearts to one another at tables and be encouraged and challenged and stretched. Uh, Meet us here today, God, with all the things we bring in. Um, Send us out refreshed, send us out better, send us out stronger because we've come here today and brought our full selves to the table. Stress, excitement, passion, joy, happiness, tiredness, busyness, and all. We bring it all to you. We let you see it. We'll let our brothers see it. And we're excited to be here right now in this moment. Meet us here, God. We know you will. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. All right, I want to start with this today. We're talking about spiritual gifts for a few weeks. You started that last week. Like Ronnie said, if you, if you weren't here and missed that teaching, that's available to you. Make sure you get it. Um, I wasn't here, but was able to listen to that. You should listen to it if you missed it. Um, it'll help you just in this series. It'll help you in general. Um, you won't want to miss that teaching um, that Sam did last week. So make sure you find that if you didn't. Um, we're talking about spiritual gifts. We're going to do that today by looking at a couple of the primary passages in the New Testament that kind of um, describe, define, delineate spiritual gifts. We're going to look at those passages. Um, before we do that, though, here's what I want you to do at your tables. Just real quick. I'm not going to give you tons of time, which is hard because this is a thoughtful question. But you got to do it quick. Just pull it off the surface. We are, I already gave you like a moment of silence. So you're ready to go. Um, I want you to talk at your tables about what is a spiritual gift? What is that anyway? We talk about them in scripture. We talk about them in church, like these spiritual gifts that we have, but like try to define it. And there's probably, I'm probably gonna give you time for like one or two of you to quickly do it, okay? So you gotta do it quick. I'm rambling right now so you can think. This is what this time is for. But I want you at your tables to just try to get there. How would you define or describe a spiritual gift? What is that anyway? Ready? Go. You gotta go quick. What is a spiritual gift? You guys are doing great. Good job. All right, you got like 30 more seconds. So if only one person's talked, it's time to move on. What is a spiritual gift? All right, like 10 seconds. As many people as you can, get around that table. All right, all right, let's come back together. Let's come back together. Hopefully that was helpful. I found, I don't know if you guys found this. Um, I, was, I was impressed 
You guys jumped right in there. I had good things to say. That's awesome. I think this is a hard thing to define. Did you guys feel that at all a little bit? I think we could talk about it. I think I can describe it. That's not hard. But if I really try to boil down, what is it though? Like, how would I define it? And maybe even harder, this is why I didn't ask you, I didn't ask you the hard version of the question. Here's a harder version of the question. What is a spiritual gift? And is it different than just like a talent? Is it different than like a natural ability? somebody might have. I mean, by definition, I would think a a spiritual gift, like a supernatural gift, is different than a natural one. It's got to be different. But what is the difference? Is there a difference? Uh, Like LeBron James, incredibly, we would say, gifted athlete. Is it a spiritual gift? And how would you know? And what's the difference? You know what I mean? I think it's a hard thing to nail down. Let me, I've just been thinking about this as I've been prepping. Here's the definition I've come to in my mind, because the Bible, as far as I can find, doesn't give us spiritual gifts, you know, colon. Here's the definition. Definition one, definition two. It doesn't get that clear for us. It describes them well. We're gonna talk about that today. But it doesn't say here's the line that defines it. So here's something I've been thinking of that hopefully just helps you. It's helped me think about, oh yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to do when I'm trying to live out of spiritual gifts. Here's what I've kind of thought through for this. A spiritual gift is something you do where the spiritual impact, something you do where the spiritual impact and personal joy far outweigh the physical output and emotional cost. So a spiritual gift is something you do where the spiritual impact and personal joy far outweigh the physical output and emotional cost. That's been helpful to me. Again, that's, I can't give you like, you know, book, chapter, and verse on where that definition comes from. I think it's helpful though. Um, something you do where the spiritual impact and personal joy far outweigh the physical output and emotional cost. Ronnie said earlier that he's not like, you know, watching his clock, checking his calendar when he's using his spiritual gifts. I think those are, when I do that, I just feel joy. I could do it for a while. Doesn't mean it's not hard work sometimes. Doesn't mean I have to choose to do it, you know, and go out of my way to prepare this or to get up early, you know. You have to work at it, but when you're operating in it, I think some of you guys know this. If you know your gifts and you're kind of confident in it or have have found a place to really exercise these things, that when you're really doing that well, you're really not checking your watch, you're not frustrated, you're not drained, you kind of leave going, man, I could have done that forever. You know, I could have done that all day and I'm ready to go again. And you might still be tired, but in a different kind of way, there's a personal joy, but also spiritual impact. Because I would say like, for example, LeBron James probably gets a lot of personal joy and fulfillment from playing basketball. I don't know that there's spiritual impact, right, from playing basketball. But when those things combine, a spiritual impact and a personal joy that far outweighs what it costs me and the toll it takes on me, that's when I think it's a clue that I'm probably operating in a spiritual kind of empowerment to do something to build the kingdom. So it's at least a clue. That's helpful to me, a helpful definition for what we're kind of talking about. So have that in the back of your mind or your version of it um, in the back of your mind. Because again, the Bible doesn't give us the definition but the Bible does give us some descriptions. That's what I wanna talk about today. Um, So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans 12. We're gonna look at Romans 12 today and 1 Corinthians 12 today. So two different um, Bible passages that we could spend a long, long time talking about. We're gonna move over a little quickly to hit the highlights of descriptions of what spiritual gifts are. And my hope would be that during your time at tables, during your time this week, these, uh, hopefully to give you kind of some framework in these Bible passages so that when you're at home, you can open them up and say, okay, I understand that. I've, I've um, kind of gotten my mind around some of the pieces in here, the words in here that could tend to trip us up. Hopefully you've got a framework and some definitions that will allow you to dig in more this week because these passages are worth you digging in on um, for a while. I think they'll, they'll be helpful to you. So in Romans 12, um, I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Before I do that, though, um, I, like I said, we're in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. These are the two probably most um, detailed, most significant passages about spiritual gifts in Scripture, particularly the 1 Corinthians passage. It spans like three chapters. We're going to do one chapter today and more of it next week. Um, but the Romans 12 passage, the 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 passage, are, are the most thorough, most often gone to passages about spiritual gifts in Scripture. Here's one thing that's really interesting to me about that. Both the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans and the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and 2nd for that matter, are letters that he wrote largely addressing division and arguments in those churches. And these are the letters that have the longest, most thorough treatment on spiritual gifts and how we ought to think about them and how we ought to use them. You think that's interesting? I think that's interesting. That Paul sees churches that are good and growing and effective, 
but also struggling and infighting and comparing and arrogant and um, like having class divisions between rich and poor, having ethnic divisions between Jew and Gentile and slave and free and other things. These are churches struggling with divisiveness, argument, comparison. And Paul says one of the ways he's gonna address it, the biggest way he addresses it is says, Jesus saves all of you from your sins, get on his team and that'll unify you. The practical output that he gives both of those churches struggling with comparison, arrogance, division is you guys all have spiritual gifts. Let's figure out how to use them together. I think that's interesting. So if we want to be a church that's unified, that's together, that's not fighting, that's not comparing, if you want to be a group of men who doesn't feel insecure and like you have to measure up and like you've got to figure out where you fit in a hierarchy so that you can kind of stand for yourself and have a place to be, if you just want to be a place, be, be men who can be at a place where you fit in, are wanted, have something to contribute, are valuable equally, don't have to compare with one another and fight with one another, don't have to wrestle with arrogance or confidence or any of those things, and you wanna be able to unify to do important things for the kingdom, one of the practical ways we can do that is personally identifying spiritual gifts that God's given us and finding ways communally to use them. And I think that's gonna set the church on fire. That's one of the things that Paul gave the church in Rome, the church in Corinth, to say, stop fighting, get together, we're gonna change the world. I think the same could be true for us. I think that's important that both of these churches are given this list. Uh, the other thing I wanna tell you about Romans 12 before I read is that uh, all these first 11 chapters of Romans, a, a lot of you guys will probably know if you've been around church very much before, Romans is awesome. Romans is like thick and dense and theological and important. If you try to read through it, you will both love it and be inspired by it and be challenged and confused by it because it's awesome and it's overwhelming. That's what Paul's been doing for like 11 chapters, explaining the power and the work of Jesus in a way that just changes the world, kind of his most thorough description of what the gospel is. He turns at the end of chapter 11 into chapter 12 to say, because of all that, you, you guys in church who haven't been getting along super well, you have a clear understanding of the gospel now let's live it out. That's the turn he makes in chapter 12. And the, one of the first things he goes to again is spiritual gifts list. So in light of the gospel, in light of the fact that Jesus has saved us from our sin, in light of the fact that Jesus has started a revolution in a kingdom that changes the world, in light of the fact that Jesus has done something that makes it possible for all of us to be unified, for all of us to live in grace together, for all of our past to be forgiven, for all of our futures to be secure, in light of all that, here's something you need to do. Find your spiritual gifts and use them for the good of the church. That's a, that is gospel application, is spiritual gifts. So starting in Romans 12, verse three, this is where Paul comes. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. So Paul has been given something and now he's giving it. By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So let's pause right there just for a second. Paul says, according to the grace given me, I say to you that you need to think of yourselves rightly. My, my version says with sober judgment, a good way to say that would be like reasonably, like don't think arrogantly, don't think exceedingly of yourself, think reasonably of who you are and the part you have to play. And then it says in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Um, in my version, that word that's distributed, the faith God has distributed to each of you, the idea um, is not just that like there's this tons of faith and some people have a lot of it and some people don't and God has given all of you faith so you better believe hard. The idea for this, God has distributed faith to each of you is more like God has given each of us a piece of this pie. You are part of the faith and you have a piece in it. So if that's the case, stand strong and be confident in the fact that you're part of the puzzle here. Does that make sense? It's not just like, if you have a lot of faith and you'll have better gifts. That's not what he's saying. I think he's saying, we're part of the faith. You're part of the faith. God has given each of us a part of it. So do your part. I think that's what he's saying. You've been given a piece of this pie. And if we don't have your piece, if we don't have your piece of the puzzle, the puzzle won't be complete. But don't think, I, you know, I have one of the corner pieces, so it's pretty important. You know, he says, no, don't think highly of yourself. Think sober judgment about yourself reasonably because we all have pieces here, all of us. We all have been given some faith. 
So here's, here's what I would say just for this first verse, kind of the first little application teaching I wanna give us. Humility is the key that unlocks spiritual gifts. Humility is the key that unlocks spiritual gifts. If you really wanna be able to live in this and grow in this and use these for the good of the church, use these for your personal joy, use these to grow in the kingdom, humility is the key that's gonna unlock this for us. Um, I, I just know for me, uh, almost any time somebody comes up to me and leads with, hey, I have fill in the blank spiritual gift so help me use that. If that's kind of the tone or the approach, then my tendency is going to be to, to assume you seem pretty excited about yourself, not about what the gift can do for the kingdom. When people have come to me before in classes or things like that, things like that and say, I have the gift of teaching. Can I teach in your class? My response has always been no. But it will be, there's lots of things, like we really need people to sit at tables and help people apply the truth that's taught, which by the way, is a form of teaching, right? But if you lead with, I have this gift, let me contribute, then I'm gonna say, I don't think you're thinking of yourself with sober judgment. I think you're thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. And this is not about what I have to offer, it's about the fact that we all have a part to play. And it's more about humility and faithfulness than it is about ability and notoriety. Does that make sense? Humility is the key that unlocks this. And if we operate in a, I have a gift, give me a stage, then it's never gonna work out for us. It's putting the attention here instead of there. But if we operate in a, wow, God has given me a gift, what are ways I can use this? Whether anybody notices or not, that's the key that's gonna unlock the spiritual power flowing through us to make impact far beyond what we could ever do. So that's the first thing. Let's keep reading on verse four. We're one verse in. Guys, I gotta move faster. For just as each of us has one body with many members, uh, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Let's stop right there. Paul said earlier, there's been grace given to me, so I say to you, I think that's Paul saying like, God has kind of called me to some work, so let me teach you and instruct you and challenge you. That's Paul using his gift. And then he says to, to all of his readers, we have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. So let me talk a little bit about the word for spiritual gifts in scripture. The word most often used for spiritual gifts in scripture in the Greek language that it was written in is charismata, charisma. That's where we get the word charisma. Like somebody who is like really winsome and capable and kind of wins you over and is just good at something. They're charismatic, right? That's also become now a word we use for people who sometimes have tended to have like a hyper focus on spiritual gifts or at least more of a focus than we tend to have on spiritual gifts. We would call charismatic in the church. It comes from that Greek word that just means that, that is often translated spiritual gift that is literally translated, just the two words that make it up in Greek are grace gift, like a gift of grace. Charis is the word for grace, and mata is just kind of like a thing, like something given in grace. So what spiritual gifts are, are gifts of God's grace to us. God has grace and is so generous and kind to us that he gives us things to use. He gives us things to do. That's what a spiritual gift is just by definition, a gift of God's grace to us to use. And here's what I would say that I think is interesting. Similar to that word distributed earlier, where like we have a piece of this puzzle to play. I think when Paul says um, that we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. One way I would say this, I think it's consistent in Paul's thinking and teaching and writing on spiritual gifts throughout the New Testament is not just that spiritual gifts come from God's grace and how generous he is, that's part of it. The other part of it to me I would say is kind of like Paul's language here, I have been given grace, so I'm gonna tell you something you need to hear. I think that's Paul using his prophetic gift or his teaching gift or his encouragement gift to challenge and to speak truth into his people. I think we also can say, I have been given grace, therefore I have something to give to the church. Does that make sense? Another way I would say that that, that, that hits my heart and inspires me, I think it will light some fire in you too, is that I would just say, given the fact that each of us are unique, given the fact that each of us carry the image of God, given the fact that each of us are children of God, and given the fact that each of us has been given gifts of grace, you being a recipient of the grace of God, but only being you and not being me or anyone else, if you're not using your gifts and giving your gift to the church, there is kind of a facet of God's grace that we can't fully see. 
Because God's grace to you ought to come through you, and when it does, not only do we see, wow, this person has a spiritual gift that's helpful, but we see the goodness and the grace and the creativity and the wisdom of God in a way I couldn't have seen it through any other person because you're uniquely you. So if you have things in you that God's grace has given you that you're not using and giving out for the good of the church, there's a facet of God's grace that we don't see in a way we might be able to see it otherwise. Does that make sense? Now that is not to say that God's grace being dispensed to the world is dependent on you. God's grace as his gift will get to who he wants to get it to. But the way it comes, the people that it impacts, the people you work with who know you will see a side of the love and grace of God through you that they can't ever see through me. And if you're not showing that, I think you're depriving people in the world around you of grace flowing through your personality to them. And that's, I want that to be a challenge. I want that to be exciting to us. The spiritual gifts aren't just like some new personality test that you figure out what you're good at and hopefully that's fun. It is God's grace flowing through you to people in ways that it cannot in, in the same way otherwise. Grace to you that comes through you to impact people. I think it's a big deal of what spiritual gifts are. Um, let's keep reading. So the, the second half of verse six there. And we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Sam talked about that gift a little bit last week. We hear that word prophecy and tend to kind of get like, oh, prophetic, predicting the future, crazy stuff. Most often in scripture, this just means speaking forth God's truth to people so they can respond to it. And most often that's what that means. So somebody who's a spokesman for God to call them to repentance, to challenge them with truth. Um, so don't get too hung up on that word. I think it's a helpful word saying some of us have truth to speak. Some of you probably have some of this in you where you're just good truth tellers. And that doesn't mean that you are a prophet with a capital P and now you have the power to prophesy. It means that you're good at speaking truth to people in a way that leads them to change. So you should use that. Does that make sense? Not, doesn't need to be crazy, but it needs to be used. It's good for us. We need it. So if prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. Isn't it interesting to you that giving is listed as a spiritual gift? Now that's something I think we're all called to do, we're all commanded to do as Christian people, to give. But I do think, you guys probably know some people like this. Some people just have like this extra kind of faith that when there's an opportunity to give, they don't worry too much about what it might cost them or what the outcome would be or that they need to check the balances. It's just like, I'm gonna give. I love doing this. And they just have this faith that feeds it and that fuels it so that the cost to them is nothing compared to the spiritual impact and output. You know, do you know people like this? Have you encountered people like this? Maybe you are a person like this. I think this is something we all need to do. But I think it's a beautiful spiritual gift that some people have. And I feel empowered in that if you feel like you have this. Give generously. If you love giving, if you have so much trust in God in this unique way of finances that it doesn't stress you out like it might some other people, again, we are all called to give. If you're stressed out by giving, you need to give. If you are spiritually empowered and joyful in giving, Paul says, give generously. Do that. Unleash it for the good of the church. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. That, that gift for mercy is like, if you just have a lot of compassion and kindness and patience to bear with people and walk with them through hard things. That's a spiritual gift that some of you have. To be patient and a good listener and kind and seek justice on behalf of people and have empathy with people. To just show them mercy when they're hurting. That's a spiritual gift. Use it um, for the good of the church. Um, Here's what I would say from this um, thing, the last, the last application from this Romans 12 passage. The best thing you could do with a spiritual gift is to use it. I love, far beyond what Paul says about what these gifts are, you know, we see prophecy, we see service, teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, um, showing mercy. But with all those, he says, if you have prophecy, prophesy. If you have a, leader, a leadership gift, use it. If you have a mercy gift, use it. The best thing you could do with a spiritual gift is use it. I said to Ronnie earlier, one of the ways that I think I, I continue to grow more confident in believing what I think I'm gifted for is when I do it, when I have opportunities to do it, and then it's like, oh, that was, that was different than just me doing something good. That was different than just me developing a skill that I could use that hopefully was helpful. That was spiritually powerful. And the more I do that, the more confident I become in it. The more I do that, the more impactful it is. The more I do that, the less I um, feel a need for affirmation in it. Does that make sense? Because I become more confident in the fact that this is not me. 
It's a spiritual gift. It's God's grace flowing through me. The more you use it, the more you get used to the idea of doing something for spiritual impact that's not about you at all. The best thing you can do with a spiritual gift is use it for the good of the church. And I love that Paul concludes this list with, if you have this gift, do it. If you have this gift, do it. If you have this gift, do it. The other thing I love is he starts with prophecy, which I said is kind of one of those weird ones for us. You know, what is prophecy? And that's kind of crazy. He starts with that, but then what's the very next one he says? It's prophecy, then prophesy according with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. I love that that's a spiritual gift. And that's right there at the top of the list with prophecy. I don't think that's an accident, by the way. That's another one that all of us are called to be servant-hearted. All of us are called to service. All of us are called to, you know, sacrifice for the good of others. Some people just have a gift for it. You know what I mean? And that's a beautiful thing. And Paul says, if you, if you can prophesy, do that. If you can serve, do that. That's number one and two on this list. I don't think that's an accident. Um, back in this day, we'll see the same thing in 1 Corinthians. Back in this day especially, people, and, and not that different than today, it's just more commonly talked about back then. Prophecy was seen as like, oh, if... A lot of people can be religious, but only the most pious, the most impressive could be prophets because God would speak to them and they would have something important to say. So, you know, I can try to be good and pious and wonderful, but I can't be that. Does that make sense? Paul here is saying, if you have that, use it. Also, if you're a servant, do that. And we all have been given portions of grace. Prophecy, service, you name it. Same playing field. So all of these gifts are given to all of us for one purpose, for unity, to build us all up. And they're in the same list together. Love that. Um, let's, there's a lot more we can say about that passage. You dig into it more later. Hopefully I've given you some groundwork. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 12. Um, this is one that may be a little familiar to you if you've thought about spiritual gifts much before. This is kind of the hallmark passage for it um, where Paul's gonna use a major metaphor about the body. Um, he hinted at that in Romans 12, but he's really gonna get there in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, so let's start reading 1 Corinthians 12, chapter one. I'm gonna read um, a good bit of this first section. We'll skip some of the middle and I'm gonna encourage you to read that and then um, we'll read the end. By the way, while you're kind of flipping there before we get into this, let me give you this question I want you to discuss at your tables when I'm done. You can go write, write this down in your blanks or something. Um, what is preventing you from using your spiritual gifts? What is preventing you from using your spiritual gifts? I said the best thing you can do is use them. So a question I'd love for you to discuss is what's preventing you from using your spiritual gifts? Right now or in general or in the past, what's preventing you from using your spiritual gifts? Dig into that at your tables later. All right, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Um, let's start in verse one. Paul says, now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Uh, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, which is the most common title for Christ or most commonly used to specifically reference Christ. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So you see that um, Spirit in verse four, Lord, uh, which I think Paul means for Jesus Christ in verse five and God in verse six. So he's hitting it all the Trinity, all of them working together for this one purpose in all of us. Um, here's what I wanna point out from, from these verses before we move on, just real quick. Um, I would just say that if you're getting an outcome in spiritual gifts conversation or in your using of spiritual gifts, if you're getting an outcome besides making Jesus famous, then it's not spiritual gifts or at least not a proper use of them. If you're getting an outcome besides making Jesus famous, then it's not spiritual gifts. So if you're getting an outcome that leads to you getting notoriety, you getting noticed, you getting spotlights, you getting tons of praise. Now we're gonna get encouragement and affirmation. People will thank you and, and you know, praise you for stuff. But if, if the leading thing when you're using a gift is people notice you or something besides Jesus getting more famous, then you're not doing it right. Paul said, I get that from uh, especially verse three, where Paul's saying, I wanna teach you about spiritual gifts because God gives them all to us. And no one can say, uh, if they're speaking by the spirit, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the spirit. I think what Paul's saying is we're about to talk about gifts, which are called charismata, which means charisma. And I think one of the things Paul is wanting to convey in this passage is just because someone is appealing or interesting or exciting or charismatic or has good things to offer or seems really great, if they're producing fruit 
that is opposed to Jesus or is off center from Jesus, then it is not the fruit of spiritual gifts. Does that make sense? I think that's, that's like Paul's first century fancier way of saying, if you're getting an outcome besides making Jesus famous through your use of gifts, then you're not doing it right. Um, so I think we need to keep that in mind in our use of them as well. Uh, so let's keep reading here. Um, <clears throat> verse seven. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So let's walk through those um, just real quickly, um, what those gifts are. So um, he says in verse seven, everybody's been given gifts. It's the same kind of thing we said in, in Romans 12. And then in verse eight, he says, um, to one there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge. Sometimes these things I think can be confusing or can get like way overemphasized. I think what Paul is saying here is some people are really, really wise. And you know people like this, right? When you talk to them, I think there's a lot of wisdom around the room here, but there are some people when you talk to them, it's like, wow, you have a wisdom, a godly wisdom that far outweighs what it costs you and what it seems to take to get out of you, that you just have wisdom that makes incredible spiritual impact. The spirit can do that and can give that to people. I think we all can gain wisdom through experience, through time, through intentional learning, but you guys know there are some people who just are wise, you know what I mean? And that's a spiritual gift. And if you have that, use it, share it. Be wise on behalf of others. Um, to another, a message of knowledge. It says, by means of the same spirit. Um, sometimes, and, and this Sam mentioned this a little bit in his teaching last week. I can go back and hear that if you haven't. Um, sometimes there just may be something, and it's not because like I just walk around seeing people and I know things about you, and so I will speak them into existence. It's more just like sometimes God puts something on my mind that I didn't put there and that I didn't try to get there that just is like, man, I'm thinking about somebody today, and I feel like, they just need to hear this word of encouragement. So maybe that's an encouragement gift. I said, I think I have. Maybe it's a little bit of a word of knowledge that I just feel like the spirit impressed something on my mind that's worth saying. And when I say it, somebody's like, wow, how did you know that? Like, well, I, didn't, I don't think I did know that. I think the spirit gave me a message of knowledge for you. And that, now here's the thing with all these spiritual gifts, with all of them, no spiritual gift is given to me so that now I can wield it at my leisure, right? or whenever I want. Any spiritual gift I have is a gift of God's grace that he uses to impact people how he wants, when he wants. So like I said, I think I have a spiritual gift for teaching. That doesn't just mean that I can stand up on any stage anytime and teach and it will be spiritually powerful. That's not what that means. I think when I'm diligent to prepare, when I'm faithful with opportunities, when I'm prayerful and try to get the spotlight on him and not on me, then when I teach, sometimes there is far more spiritual impact than what I could produce on my own. So it's not just that I have a gift of teaching, so now I do it when I want. The same is true with this message of knowledge thing. I think sometimes the spirit works in people to just be able to encourage or say the right thing at the right time or ask the right question at the right time. But I don't think that that means I have the gift of the message of knowledge, so I just walk around saying, you, sir, are gonna catch a flight today. Like that's not how that works at all. That's not how any of these things work. Does that make sense? But sometimes it just happens. Where I've um, experienced this kind of thing, I think my understanding of it at least the most is like if I'm sitting in premarital counseling with a couple, maybe, and I just think, I have a question in my mind that doesn't make sense to me, but I feel like I ought to ask it. And I ask it and they're like, wow, that, it really unlocks the conversation. Like, is that because now I have the ability to just ask everybody questions that will change their marriage? No. But in that moment, I think the spirit said, this will be beneficial for the kingdom. Be faithful and ask what I asked you to ask. Because I, it's not that I know it, it's that the Spirit knows it and uses it to bless people. Does that make sense? That's how I see this playing out. Never for us to just wield for our purposes, but always for the good of people. Um, so that's what I think a message of knowledge might mean. Um, verse nine, to another faith. 
I think we all have faith, we all are called to faith. You guys probably know some people who just are willing to take crazy risks and they're not that worried about it. Now we all are called to grow in our faith. Some people just have faith, man. And that's a beautiful thing, it's a spiritual gift. And if the church body didn't have it, we probably wouldn't have missionaries. We probably wouldn't take bold risks as a church. We need people with a gift of faith to just say, God's gonna show up, let's do it. And to be bold like that. Um, to another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. This is another one we can get tripped up on. I, like all the gifts, I don't think anybody is given the gift of healing that they now use at their disposal whenever they want. I do think God can heal people, and I know that he does, but I do not believe that God gives somebody this gift that now they use when they want. I think God heals people, and sometimes he does it. Just like I think God empowers sermons, but not every time right? And not when I want. He does it when he wants how he wants. I think healing works the same way. Does God heal people? Does he have the power to do that? Yes, absolutely. Do people have the power to hold that gift and use it by their will? Absolutely not. Just like any other gift. It's a gift of God's grace for the good of the body. Um, to another, miraculous power. Same kind of thing. Some people, it, it's been more common back then than we see today, but you guys wouldn't have to look very far to find instances of God doing miraculous things. If we don't have a God that can do miraculous things, and I don't know what God you're worshiping, he can do miraculous things. Um, does he do it through somebody who just owns the power to do the miraculous? No, never. Does he do it when he wants for the purposes he has? Yes, often. Um, but that's how it works. Never just for a person to wield, always for God to use at his discretion. Um, to another, distinguishing between spirits. I think some people just have this kind of spiritual understanding, this kind of spiritual groundedness where they can, they can um, hear a teaching or they can um, be in conversation with somebody and just feel like there is a spiritual element to this conversation that eyes can't see, but there's, there's just something that we need to stop and pray for a minute or this conversation is not gonna get any further. And I think we all are called to be that kind of way, to be prayerful in a moment and to discern God is at work and we need God's presence to change all kinds of things. But there are some, you guys have probably experienced this. If you haven't, keep your eyes open for it. I think you will. That there are some people who can just sense that stuff faster and more accurately sometimes. I think my wife can be this way a little bit. That she just has a quick discernment about we're not we need to pray about this situation. Like I know we're trying to solve this situation for somebody or help give them wisdom. Wisdom isn't just gonna cut it. They need some wisdom. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit powerfully breaks into this situation. I think some people can kind of discern that more quickly than others. That's a spiritual gift that the church body needs. Um, it says uh, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. I'm in verse 10, speaking in different kinds of tongues. Most often, I mean, really, this just means in different foreign languages. Most often, even in scripture, this is used to describe people speaking in known existing foreign languages that they didn't previously know so that the gospel could be preached. The primary example is um, the day of Pentecost when the church begins and Peter and the other apostles are preaching and other people start hearing the sermon in their native language that the apostles weren't preaching in. So it's a real language that exists that these guys didn't know that the spirit empowers so that the gospel can be preached. Most often that's what we see in scripture happening with the gift of tongues. Also, we see Paul describing some other kind of gift of tongues that just seems like some sort of language that's used for prayer or worship or something like that. What exactly is that? I'm not sure. That's about as clear as Paul gets about what it is. But Paul is clear about how to use it. And just like all the other gifts, it's never for you know, the, the spotlight on me. It's never for attention to me. It's never just for personal edification. It's always for the good of others. Um, and it's not to be used publicly as a distraction. Paul's clear on those things. What exactly it might be if somebody feels like they pray in tongues in some like angelic kind of language. You guys may know people who believe this or teach this or experience this even. Um, some people experience this. I don't know exactly what it is. That's about as much as Paul talks about it. Paul does say, this is not to be used to draw attention. This is not to be used to be a distraction. This is not to be used in public worship services because it doesn't help everybody. They can't all understand. So what exactly it is, primarily, I think is people speaking or hearing known existing languages that they hadn't previously learned so the gospel can advance. Sometimes I think Paul hints at some other expression of tongues. Always Paul hints at a self-controlled, humble, 
church-honoring, God-honoring use of whatever this is, just like all the other gifts. Does that make sense? Uh, We could talk about that for a long time as well, right? You guys know, but hopefully that gives you some framework to see what I think Paul means. And still to another, he says at the end of verse 10, the interpretation of tongues. So some people can understand that. Some people can, and again, think existing languages most often. Some people can understand languages quickly. Some people can learn languages quickly and help advance the gospel. Some people can hear things that I don't understand and know what they mean. Some people have that gift. It's good for the church. Um, All of these, and here's kind of the caption of it, all these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them each uh, to each one just as he determines. So again, the, the bottom line for this is not what are the cool gifts and which ones do I have? The bottom line for this is they come from God and they serve a unifying purpose for the church. That's the bottom line that Paul wants to get at um, in Romans and in 1 Corinthians. Um, what I would say um, from this is the goal is never uniformity but diversity. Sam talked about this last week. The goal is never uniformity but diversity um, so that all people have expressions of God's grace that, are, that ought to flow through them, not so we all do the same thing, but so that we all do different things as God gives them so that the church can be better. Never uniformity, um, but diversity. Um, so verses 12 uh, through 26 uh, are great. You should read them. I want you to. This is discussion question number two, if you're taking notes. Read those verses, maybe even at your table if you guys have time. Read verses 12 through 26. And just talk about what sticks out to you. What are some phrases that stick out to you? What's most interesting to you from um, that passage? It's really, really good. I'm not skipping it because it's not worth reading. I'm skipping it because I think it'll be even better if you guys read it at your tables. Um, So that's where Paul really kind of unpacks the metaphor of a body and how these gifts work for the good of all of us. So let's pick back up um, his thought in verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ. He said, the spiritual gifts are like a body. Everybody has a different part. If we don't have all the parts, it won't work. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? I think the assumption would be no, right? We've just talked about that. And then he says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And that can be a little bit of a weird phrase too. Like, Paul, this whole thing has been about unity and not competing. But then you end this flow of thought with, so go after the good ones. Like, wait, that seems opposite of what he's after. So, so let me try to get in Paul's mind a little bit so I think we can understand. Because I think he's actually making a really, really cool point for us. Um, that's maybe hard for us to, to grasp. Uh, harder for us to grasp than it would have been for his original readers. So first of all, I would say, When he says in verse 28, God is placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing. I don't think it's, I can't say exactly. I don't think that Paul is listing an order of importance here. I don't think he's saying now, first of all, and most importantly, there's prophets. Second most important are, uh, or first of all is the apostles. Second most important are the prophets. Third most important are the teachers. I don't think that's what he's saying. It could be. I think though what he's saying is more about a timeline than it is about a hierarchy. So I think he's talking about when a church is established, you've got to have an, a, an apostle kind of person who's sent with like entrepreneurial mindset and giftedness to start something. You need somebody to preach truth so people call to repentance. You need someone to teach and shepherd that group of people so that it grows. Then the other things come into play. I think Paul is probably talking more about timeline than hierarchy. Does that make sense? So when I read this, first of all, at first I'm like, oh, so the the most important things are the apostles, the second most are the prophets. So I guess I should hope to be awesome because those are the important ones and the other ones are later. I think mostly Paul is saying, this is the process this takes to build something. You've got to start somewhere. Now, I think Paul will also go on to say that desiring to to have a prophetic gift is a good thing because it's really helpful and helps a lot of people in a quick way. So I think Paul does say that is a gift worth going after, worth asking God to give you because it makes huge impact. But I don't think Paul is listing a hierarchy. That would go against everything he's just taught in this passage. I think Paul's listing a process of things that all have a part to play. Does that make sense? Less about importance and more about everything has to happen or it can't work right. Um, so that's a, the, the first kind of observation I want to make. The second thing is this. Kind of like we talked about with prophecy earlier, that people would have thought like, oh, only the most pious, the most wonderful, the most impressive could do something like that. The rest of us just need to take what's left over. I think that would have been the mindset. Sometimes maybe we can fall into that same kind of mindset. 
the really important people get to do those really important things, and I guess I'll just do whatever's left over. I think what Paul is saying here is all of these things, all of these things, and all the things I listed in verse seven and following, and all the things he listed in Romans 12, all of those things, plus probably more, are all on the table for all of us. Now, will you have all of them? No, you'll have some of them. They may change slightly over time. You may be better at some than others. God will give you what he wants to give you when he wants to give it to you. But all of them are on the table for all of you. It's not that the rich people get access to the good gifts. It's not that the most important people get access to the good gifts. It's not that the best looking people get access to the good gifts and everybody else gets the leftovers. That would have been the assumption back then. I don't think we we, um, divide class quite as starkly, at least not on purpose, as they might have back then but I think we probably still feel that way. You know what I mean? I bet there's some of you in this room who kind of feel, you you may not say it out loud. You may not like actively think this all the time, but I bet somewhere in the back of your mind, you think, well, those things are for those people. I'll just take what's left. Now, here's what I wanna say to all of us. We all need to take what God gives us because he'll give us what he wants, when he wants, for the purposes he wants. I can't control what spiritual gifts I have and when they're used for the good of the kingdom. That's not mine to say, it's not yours to say. But what I think I can say is, you are not stuck like a a spiritual caste system in a certain type of giftedness because of your past or because of where you work or because of how much you make or because of where you live or because of how you look. You're not stuck. I think Paul says all of these things are on the table. And when he says eagerly desire the greater gifts, I don't think he's thinking, so make a list of the most important ones and if you're lucky, you'll get those. Again, that's opposite of everything we've talked about today. I think what Paul is saying is eagerly desire great impact. Eagerly desire gifts that will be great for the kingdom. So here's the thing. Sometimes that's preaching and teaching. Sometimes that's like the work of an apostle. Sometimes that's mercy. Sometimes that's service. Sometimes that's leadership. Sometimes it's encouragement. Depending on the situation and your context and the people around you and what love requires of you to make the biggest impact you can make, different gifts will be required for that. Does that make sense? So it's not just that teaching gifts always make the biggest impact. It's easy to see on a stage, but that's not always the biggest impact. Often the bigger impact is service, mercy, encouragement. Those are often bigger impacts. So I think Paul is not saying, make a list of the good ones, hope you get the good ones, if not, you're stuck. I think Paul is saying, go after great spiritual impact. So what gift do you think that might be for your context? In your context, it may not make any impact at all if you have a prophetic teaching gift. Nobody's gonna care if you get up on a stage at your office and start yelling at them. That won't help but there will be greater impact that comes from something else. And I think Paul is saying, go after great impact. Find what great impact would be and say, God, give me the gifts I need to make great impact. Get excited about that, get passionate about that. Great impact is the goal, not great personal giftedness. Does that make sense? So spiritual gifts are not about hierarchy, they're about accessibility. They're not about hierarchy, they're about accessibility. They are available to you what you get and how that works and how it looks and how you grow in it is up to the spirit. It's spiritual gifts, not human gifts. It's up to the spirit, what he gives you for what purposes, to what extent. But Paul does say, go after, eagerly desire great gifts to make a great impact. And that I think will be huge for the world and huge for your context and huge for people around you. So here's, here's kind of the third question I wanna give you to discuss when I turn it over to you. What kind of spiritual impact do you dream of making? What kind of spiritual impact do you dream of making? Now, what I don't want you to do in this question is just be like, well, I wish I could be like so-and-so and it would be cool if I could do what Kyle does. It's awesome that Kyle does what Kyle does. It wouldn't be awesome if you did what Kyle does, right? Or anybody else. What spiritual impact do you dream of making? When you think about your sphere of influence, your context, the people God's put you around, and you dream about, man, what would huge spiritual impact look like in that context? Dream about that. What gifts do you think it will require for you to make the greatest spiritual impact in your context? What is your dream? What is your eagerly desire great impact thing? I think think about that and that's what God wants to empower you for. That's what God will want to unleash your gifts for is great spiritual impact in your context. Um, so think about 
your context, not someone else's. Think about your gifts being at work in your place, not someone else's, and eagerly go after that. Pray for it. Ask God to help it. Ask God to bless it. Ask God to give you what you need. And I think that's where we'll see the greatest kingdom impact, and that's what spiritual gifts are for. Um, so let me pray for you, and then uh, discuss your tables, those questions, and talk through that stuff. God, I'm more grateful for your word. We're grateful that you have taught us today. Um, we're grateful that the spirit is alive and active in all of us today. I pray that in this room, you would unleash kingdom dreams, that these men would eagerly desire great gifts for great spiritual impact, whatever their context. I pray that you, even by the power of your spirit, who sanctifies us and refines us and changes us, that you would help us to stop comparing, help us to stop desiring what other people have, help us to see ourselves with sober judgment and clear minds so that we can know the spiritual impact you've called us to make and then help us eagerly desire the gifts we need to make that impact. God, make our vision right, make our understanding of ourselves right um, so that we can make the greatest impact for your kingdom while we're here so that you get great glory. Um, because we know that nobody can say Jesus is Lord unless by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we want that power so that we and people around us can say that Jesus is Lord and his name becomes famous. May we never become more famous because of our use or desire of spiritual gifts, but would you get all the glory? Uh, so God, we eagerly desire great spiritual impact. Unleash those dreams in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.